Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. But I got to think about when is it that we talk about faith? What is our first point of contact with other people around faith? You know, it's not usually, you know, hey, can we discuss a Bible story? You know, the average person's not going to ask you that. You know, certainly our culture does not permit, you know, sort of the question of how does your faith inform these issues that we're discussing in the world? That seems to be fraught with danger because it can involve politics and religion, which is always a complicated conversation, of course. No, the, the doors for a conversation of faith most often open up in prayer. When somebody says, would you pray for me? When somebody comes to you and says, would you pray for me? And when they do that, it's not just, hey, would you pray for me? And even if it's couched in that kind of language, what they're saying is, would you pray for me? In this sort of deep, guttural sense. I even feel this when I'm on social media, and you will watch people from time to time say, hey, y'all, there's a prayer request, like, could you please pray for this? Like, often people will couch it with emojis and exclamation points, you know, and try to make it as, as, try to make it as easy as possible, but really what they're saying is, y'all, I got to put this need out into the world, would you pray for me? And so I want you to know that when you are asked to pray, I want you to know a couple things about what is happening in that. First, when people ask you to pray, they are expressing a belief about God. That whatever they understand God to be, however they understand the divine, what they are saying is that in some way, God, we're at least taking the risk that God cares and that God can do something about it. And there is an opportunity in that for them to grow in their understanding of God. An opportunity to understand the divine deeper. And so when you are asked to pray... You are called to take up a position with that person and to wait with them to intercede. If their understanding of God is going to grow, so will yours. And, all, and the second thing I want you to know is that when somebody asks you to pray for them, they are expressing a belief about you. They trust you. It is a deep spiritual connection that is possible if we are willing to take that seriously and to open ourselves to it. Because people don't float their dirty laundry to others without trust. People don't say, here's what's really going going on in my heart or in my life without some sense of actually trusting you. And the person who asks you to pray is asking you because they believe your prayers have power. They believe in you. And that's true. Your prayers do have power. God hears our cries. And so when you are asked to pray for someone else, I want to encourage you to return that trust. Don't say, I will pray for you unless your head is bowed and your hands are folded and you are lifting up the name of that particular person or that particular issue in prayer because somebody's expressed trust in you. And when you enter in on that journey, you should know that intercessory prayer, this work of praying, is spiritually volatile. It is complicated. When you step into real prayer for others, your own beliefs about God, about yourself, they are going to be put to the test. And so my question for you this morning is, what do you believe about prayer? 
What are you doing when you intercede for someone else? What are your expectations? What does it mean for God to answer a prayer? What happens if, in our understanding, God doesn't answer a prayer? Does prayer change the mind of God? What does that say about God? If God's mind changes, what does that say about God? Can God answer prayer even if it doesn't fix the problem? You start to see that when we enter into the journey of intercessory prayer, there's a lot going on. And we go through a journey as well. It is a spiritual journey for us who pray, not just the one for the one who asks for prayer. And today's gospel story shows a simple intercession. The story we read is not a complicated one, but it gives us a much richer, fuller understanding of what happens when Christ steps into the life of another. And so, in the, and so we're still in the first chapter of Mark. We're not doing a series on this, but in this season, slowly and surely walking through the early stages of Jesus' ministry. And we're still not out of the first chapter. Jesus has been baptized. He's called his first disciples. Then he goes to the synagogue and he proclaims, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And then as soon as church is over, more or less, that Simon and Andrew come and say, look, we got an issue at home. Would you come? And it says that Jesus immediately goes to the house of Simon and Andrew. And when Jesus arrives, Simon's mother-in-law is running a fever. Now, for those of us in the 21st century, we're like, it's a fever. Just put her on the list. But you have to remember, in the first century, fevers are life-threatening, potentially. Fevers are, are a life-or-death issue. And it just tells us that Jesus takes her by the hand, which, by the way, ain't nothing. Because in this motion, Jesus risks his own infection. Jesus actually makes contact with the sick person, which is, which is risky. I mean, shoot, we just came through COVID. We wouldn't even shake hands. So to take her hand is risky, but Jesus steps into that, and it tells us that he lifted her up, and it says she began to serve them. Such a simple story of healing. A beautiful one. Jesus heals. Hooray. And on the surface, this is what we expect from Jesus. We say, Christ, hear my prayer, fix the problem, let's get on with it, and that's exactly what happens. Nothing more than that, right? I want to use this story to unpack what we do when we pray a little bit. Because it's not just one thing that happens. I believe there are two things that happen very clearly in this story. The first thing that happens is she is cured. She is cured. She has a disease. We don't know what it is. By the end of the story, it is gone. Christ has removed this ailment from her. And it tells us not just that he cured her. It says that he lifted her up, which, by the way, is the exact same word that is going to be used at the end of Mark when Jesus is resurrected. Jesus is lifted up from the dead. So there is a sense of resurrecting, something bigger than just going to the doctor and getting your pills going on here. Jesus has done something miraculous in her life. And let us learn from this. Let us never, ever enter into prayer without some sense of God's ability to do amazing things that we can't explain. 
never kneel down and pray without some sense that maybe God can do something. Is it likely? Maybe not. But our, our faith, the one who prays faith, should be big enough to say that God is bigger than what I can understand and what I can see. Let us never pray for God to intervene in the life of someone else unless we believe that miracles are possible. And what we discover when our eyes are big enough to see that, we start discovering that resurrection is happening in lives all around us. And so we must pray in faith. We have to have faith in order to pray. Because scripture bears witness to a Christ who is a great physician. Jesus heals. Jesus saves. Thanks be to God. And unless we have cultivated a sense that what God can do is bigger than what we can do, we'll always come short in our wondering about what prayer can actually accomplish. And you're like, well, Sam, in the scriptures, Jesus cures everyone. And in our lives, he doesn't seem to do that. Well, we don't know that Jesus cured everyone. We just know those are the things that got written down. But here's the point. Jesus is a healer. And so don't put God to the test. So, so let's make sure that when we pray, we say, look, I know your issue is big. Your issue is bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It, maybe it's bigger than the doctors you're concerned about. Maybe it's bigger than all of this. But nevertheless, we still hold out hope that God can do something amazing in the life of another person. But the curing is not the only thing that happens. There's a second thing that happens. It says that she is lifted up. And then it says she began to serve them. And we're going to pause here for a second. We'll get to what I think this is, and I try not to do this too often, but I want to be super clear this morning about what this is not. Here's how we're not going to read this passage. First of all, we are not going to read this as, Jesus heals us so we can go back to work. That's not what we're doing. This is a view of God that values us for all that values us only for what we produce in the world. And God does not see us in that way. In fact, it's a cry and shame that we view each other sometimes in that way. So we're going to reject that entirely. Jesus doesn't cure us so we can go back to work. And second, this is not, and the reason I bring this up is because I've heard people say this. I haven't heard any of you say this, but I've heard people say this. Jesus heals the woman so she can go back and serve the men. Y'all laugh. This is patriarchy. If someone suggests this reading to you, this is the only time I'm ever going to say this, you kick them in the shins. Because that is wrong. And that is not what this is about. So we're good, right? This is not Jesus heals so we can work. And this is not women go serve the men, right? We're clear on this, yes? Moving off of that. If taking away the disease was curing, restoring her to her life is healing. Say it again. If taking away the disease is curing, restoring her to her life is healing. Scripture tells us that she got up and served. The word that is used here for serve is the same word that Jesus uses to describe his own work in chapter 10, when Jesus says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. This is why it's not women serving men. It is a life of service that comes from being the children of God. 
And in fact, this is the same word that we get the word a deacon from. It is a word that suggests not a job or a responsibility, but a vocation, a calling from God. She is the first person in the entire Gospel of Mark to serve, to take up her vocation, to embrace Jesus' notion, the full notion of discipleship. That's what healing is. Healing is not the solving of our problem. It is the restoration of our souls. Jesus raised up, restored, lifted her up, so that she could take on her proper vocation, her place, her service in the broader kingdom of God. And that is what she did. And here is the point to help our intercessory prayers. When we pray, you need to understand that curing and healing are not the same thing. Curing and healing are not the same thing. As a pastor, I've walked with so many people who were cured, but who were never healed. Consider this. I've watched people who have been through hospitalization, and the doctors fixed their problem, but they never quite got over the shame of the people in their lives seeing them in their very worst moment. I mean, those hospital gowns are something else. Let's just be, and if you know, you know. And you can understand there's a kind of shame that can come with people who are like, you know, especially, and I see this especially in men, the big strong men in our lives who all of a sudden have to wear this gown that doesn't cover anything and they're all hooked up and they can do nothing for themselves. There is shame in that. We've all known cancer patients who were declared cancer free, but I've had my own family members who every time they felt something or something felt a little off, all of a sudden there's a feeling of concern. Like they never quite get free of the thing that is hanging over them. Like something feels weird. Do I have cancer again? That's hard. Consider a spouse who maybe has experienced, you know, unfaithfulness. Or a woman who's experienced some kind of harassment. A family who picks up the pieces of a broken relationship. A minority person who experiences bigotry. The providing of a meal which raises issues of self-reliance. People are like, I can't take care of myself anymore. Or an addict who is reintroduced to their family and society. You can see all these different ways where people get cured, but there are deeper things that still need to be addressed. All these situations raise deep spiritual issues about identity and about relationship. Things like shame and fear, trust, relationships. All of these things are on the line when we pray, not just the issue. You know what I'm saying? There's always something deeper going on. And I've watched plenty of people who are cured but not healed. But I've also seen places where someone wasn't cured, but was absolutely healed. A relationship that ended well. Understanding and trust reestablished. Things that needed to be said and blessings that needed to be exchanged. And there is so, so much power in the process of healing when we pray. To the point where I've had people say the most powerful thing wasn't that they got cured. It's that healing took place in the midst of that. Yes, maybe God took care of the body. Maybe God didn't. But God healed the soul. And there's power in that. 
And opening our eyes as people who pray to this reality opens us up to a reality of God that is meaningful and powerful beyond, beyond what goes on a prayer list. And when we are willing to think about prayer in these ways, that God answers prayers in ways we don't understand and we can't see and we can't anticipate, it starts to become a model for our entire life of discipleship. Our entire way of being church, it becomes a model for that. And I was trying to think of a story of someone stepping out of prayer, but in a life of service who kind of puts all this together. And I asked permission for this, and she gave me permission. I'm so grateful that she did. So many of you have met our friend, Georgia. Georgia sits right down here. She's not able to be with us this morning. Our friend, Georgia. She assists with a community soup, a, a community like soup kitchen style meal program with our friends over at St. Paul's in Westminster. If you don't know that about her, she does this every single week on a Thursday. There are, there are churches on Westminster. Every church has a different meal at some point during the week. Georgia gets Thursdays. All right, and so every Thursday she's there cooking up a meal for those who need it, for the homeless, for those who are housing insecure, for those who are struggling with addictions, just all kinds of issues you can imagine. And I've stopped by. Me and the family, we've gone over. We've eaten. We've eaten over there. We've also taken food. That's one of the places these days that some of our food goes when we've got a big harvest on a Wednesday and got nowhere to go with it. And if you go over to Georgia's soup kitchen, there's not much there that you wouldn't expect. There's a buffet line. There's a bunch of tables. People get their food. They sit down. They eat it. Not a whole lot. There's not a lot of room for creativity in these sorts of things. But if you look closer... Georgia told me one time, she says, there's three things we commit to doing that we know no one else does. And I was like, I didn't realize there was competition among soup kitchens, but there must be. So she's like, all right, there's three things we do. She says, number one, we receive fresh produce that we use in all of our meals. And she says, people constantly tell her how wonderful it is that they get real food in a charity setting, not just mac and cheese and, you know, instant mashed potatoes but actual food that actually came up out of the dirt. Number two, she says she commits to using real plates, no paper, no paper at all. And you sit down at her table, you actually get a real plate. Which means, by the way, and you all know where this is going, somebody got to do dishes. And finally, she uses real utensils, no plastic. Emmy, that's for you, by the way. But she uses real utensils. You get a real fork and a real plate to eat some real food. People come there because she treats them as guests in her house and not clients on a list. And because of that, she tells me, I, I can't prove this, so she might, be, she might be stretching it a bit, but I believe this. She says, they attract twice as many people as the other churches that offer meals. Why? She's not solving their hunger issues. She's not solving their housing issues. She's not curing anything. But what she can do is provide dignity and love for a moment. She can't cure, but she can heal. And for a moment, to be reconnected with your actual humanity regardless of all the other issues going on in those clients' life. For a moment, they connect with who they truly are, beloved children of God who are beloved by someone else. Do you see it? The difference between curing and healing. 
And so when we are asked to pray, we experience a privilege unlike any other. For we step into the very work of Christ's kingdom. We step into the possibility of miracles. And if we open the microphone and some of you felt the, felt the encouragement, you would come up and say, I have seen God do some things I can't explain. I certainly have. And we step into the possibility of miracles. We also step into the possibility of deep and profound healing and restoration of lives, whether that curing comes around or not. So we reject the idea that God either hears prayers or doesn't hear prayers. We reject the idea that this prayer was effective, but this prayer wasn't effective. We reject the idea that God answered this prayer, but ignored all these other prayers. No, what we do is embrace the fact that God is both curing and healing in the world. And we embrace the idea that we too as a church, we can't cure. Bad news church, there's precious little in the world we're going to be able to fix. And there's precious little we can do to heal, but we can participate with Christ in the work that he is doing to cure and to heal our broken world. And as we pray, we can help carry others. We can give others faith and hope. We can be companions along the way. We can join them in a sense of purpose in the midst of the pain of others. And so when you step into prayer, you don't just step into a list. You don't step into a genie bottle, God, figure this out. No, we step into the whole work of Jesus Christ. The one who has the power to cure and the one who has the power to heal, restore, and invite us all into a life of discipleship, a life of restoration, a life that looks an awful lot like the kingdom of God, heaven come to earth, and we find our good and proper place in it. Let us get about our work and see what it is that Jesus Christ will do with our very simple prayers.